Good morning, everybody. Hey, if any of you happen to see members of our executive staff, give them a pat on the back or a thanks. It's a, it's a big responsibility, and they do it well, and I don't think they always necessarily, they don't seek recognition, but give them some once in a while if you have a chance. Um, good morning. What a beautiful day it is today. It's going to be in the 50s. Thank you. Uh, my name is Tim Harima. I'm part of the teaching team here. And we are wrapping up our series on flourishing in exile. And next week, believe it or not, we'll be moving into the Advent season. Thursday is Thanksgiving. That's also hard to believe. But uh, yeah, it's getting to be that time of year. Uh, I want to take us back about two and a half, three months ago, in the middle of September, when Tom started us on this series, which talked about flourishing in exile and what it means for us to be in exile and how we're to live our lives. And he posed a question to this room as to what flourishing in exile meant or what it made you think about. And some of the responses that people gave was that we may not be in a physical exile. We may be in a, a spiritual exile. Another uh, comment was that this was probably part of God's plan for us. And what did that mean? And then someone also made the comment that flourishing in exile means living our lives in a way that's counter to what the culture says we should be behaving and how we live our lives, which is really the essence of what this whole series has been about. And how we behave in a way that's a little bit different than the cultural norms. So Joey, if I could see the first slide here, we talked about three levels. If you remember this slide back from the first time, we talked about level one, which was our personal relationship with God and how we dealt with our Savior and knew Him and, and interacted with Him. Level two is how we interact within our community, within the church, body itself. Level three is our culture or the world. This is where we live. This is where we are. This is everything else around us. And level four are the heavens or the cosmos. And the overall objective of flourishing in exile as we've talked over for the past several months, is bringing level four, the heavenly kingdom, down to level three through us. So I want you to consider something today before we get started. I want you to think back early in your life, in your faith walk. Think of somebody that influenced you. Somebody that made an impression on you. Someone that had a part in you becoming a believer in Jesus. And just think about what about that person influenced you? What was their behavior? What was their mindset? How did they live their lives? How did they, how did they reach you? So my experience, as I've shared with some of you in the past, I grew up in Pella, Iowa. I'm a native. I grew up in the Reformed Church. I went to Bible school in the summer and Sunday school on Sunday mornings, and I learned about Jesus, and I learned about the good book. But as I grew up, I started to notice that not everybody 
that claimed to be a follower of Jesus acted like it. And without really knowing it at the time, it created a credibility issue for me, a legitimacy issue for me. And that, along with several other things, kind of led me to, you know, start to think about myself more than anything else. And what I was interested in, and what my needs were, and what I cared about, and what the world told me I should care about. But, thankfully, as I grew older, God put people in my life that started to have an impact. And I saw people living their lives in a way that interested me. First, it caused me to question, to ask, to watch. Pretty soon, it caused me to engage. And before I knew it, I wanted to have what these people had. And it led me on a journey that I'm still on today. So, Tom talked about, at the end of that first message, holiness and what it means. And holiness is a difficult term to try to define, right? What is holy? But Tom encapsulated it kind of simply by saying, holy, what, first of all, what it's not. Holiness is not fighting with the world or exhibiting its behaviors in responding to it in a hateful or divisive manner. But it is kind of turning things on the head and behaving in a way that's counter to our culture, that exhibits something different, that challenges us to move the heavens from level four down here. And that's what we've been talking about. Last week, we started to talk about Matthew. And Tim led us into the beginning of Matthew's chapter five through seven. This is the other Tim. Tim Brand, maybe we call you Tim the Younger? Or how about Tim the Enchanter? If anybody catches that reference, you get a gold star today. But Tim Brand led us into Matthew. And he talked about the Beatitudes, primarily. And the, the, Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And it's where Jesus shows us how People who live with Jesus in their heart act and how they behave. And Tim challenged us to look at it not as a to-do list, but to look at it through the lens of our excelic, our excelic point of view as exiles and look at it as being more descriptive than proscriptive, defining what Jesus is like and how we can reflect him as opposed to a checklist that if we're doing this, we're on the right path. So, the Sermon on the Mount covers a lot of good stuff. And if there is a passage in Scripture that I would encourage you to read regularly, and if possible, memorize, it would be Matthew 5 through 7. Because these are Jesus' words on how we, as his followers, are to live. So, 
Tim went through the Beatitudes, and as we progress through Matthew, there's all sorts of topics that Jesus talks about, all of which are sermon-worthy. We go through things like murder and adultery and divorce. I'm not going to talk about those things today. But he also talks about things like letting our word be our bond, turning the other cheek, how we are to be generous to others, how we are to fast. And, and as Jesus unpacks these things, he talks about how, or he shows us that the way we participate in these activities has something to do with our mindset. And our mindset should not be how we want others in this world to see what we're doing or to get their praise and admiration, but to get God's attention, to let God, to honor God with our actions. And he also encourages us to start looking at things from a heavenly perspective. He talks about building up treasures in heaven instead of on earth. He talks about having us stop worrying about the stuff that the world tells us is important. And he talks about how we pray. And how when we pray, it's about developing a relationship and interaction with our Savior. It's not about praying the way we think we should pray or the way people tell us to pray or in front of people in some pompous nature with a lot of words. It's pouring out our hearts and acknowledging who he is and sharing our lives with him. All of these things, in short, can be said if, we, if our purpose in life is to gain what the world has to offer, then that's where our hearts will be, and that's what our behavior will exhibit. But if we truly love Jesus and believe in him, we'll start to see things and desire things from a godly perspective, from a kingdom perspective. And all the stuff that the world has or tells us that we need will become inconsequential. Wouldn't that be great? Well, we're going to focus on a particular scripture today that starts in chapter 7 on page 961 of our Bibles. And before we get started, I'd like you to look at a little slideshow that Joey's going to run for us here.
Thanks. Kind of an eclectic group of people you just looked at, isn't it? This group could have been a lot bigger, but I chose people here that I'm assuming many of you know and probably have some kind of impression of it, good, bad, or otherwise, or have some kind of experience with someone in that picture or like someone in that picture. And the thing that I want you to think about is, do you know any of those people? You know, when people become famous and they're on television or they're performing for us or we see them in interviews or we read something that they wrote, we, we start to think we know them. But do we really know them? Is there anybody in that group that you saw that you know personally? And when you saw any of those people, were there any emotions stirred inside of you? Or were there any judgments that you made or have made about any of those people? Just something I want you to think about as we move through our scripture. Our scripture, again, is chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. These are Jesus' words, and so they're God's words. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet, and then turn and tear you to pieces. This is the word of God. Judge not. Probably the most cited verse in the Bible, or one of the most, if it's not. Now, we here in Pella, and we here at Third Church, we know our Bible pretty well, but we have to understand most people in this world don't. But they know that verse. And it is often misquoted. Joey, can you show me the slide on this here? I found this when I was studying. You can read that. How people in our world read the Bible today. And it has a passage I just read, all scratched out, except for the first two words. And the funny thing is, if you think about it, if someone says to you, don't judge me, they're actually judging you when they say it, aren't they? So what does Jesus mean in this passage? Because there are instances when we are called to discern, to judge, that are necessary, right? Earlier in this chapter, it talked about... Um, How we, how, uh, if we know our enemy, how we're supposed to love our enemies, right? How do we know who our enemies are if we don't judge them? 
At the end of this reading, it talks about pigs and dogs. How do we know who pigs and dogs are? We'll talk about that in a moment. But how do we know who they are if we don't make a judgment? There are other scriptures that talk about how we judge. Later on in this chapter, verse 17, it talks about false prophets. How do we know who are false prophets if we don't make a call on that? Matthew 18, verse 15, which I thought was a really good scripture, so I'm going to read it. It says, if a brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. How do we address a brother's sin if we don't make a call on it? In 1 Corinthians, they talk about how we deal with people within the church on the issues of sexual immorality. So we are to discern what is sinful and what is not. So Jesus is not telling us we can't make a call on what's right or what's wrong. But he's teaching us against having a judgmental spirit. He's talking about the way we look down on each other or condemn each other. Romans 14 verse 10 says, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before judgment seat. Billy Graham had a quote that said, It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to uh, job, that's tongue twister, God's job to judge. And my job is to love. Because when we judge people in the wrong manner, we're oftentimes judging things we don't really know about them. Or we don't know them. We're judging them on superficial things, perhaps. We may not think so. But we don't know what's going on in their lives. We don't know what their motivations are. We don't know how far they may have come to where they are now. We can see their actions, but we can't see their heart. So these are the areas where judgment comes into question. Jesus' brother James wrote, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge. And guess what? We're not him. So what law is he talking about? What law when he says... Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law. What's the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. When we judge falsely, we're falling short of the second greatest commandment. It's interesting the language that Jesus uses. He is a phenomenal teacher. And he uses language that anybody can really relate to. He talks about the plank versus the speck. 
And he talks about when we judge people incorrectly, we're noticing a speck of sawdust in their eye. Meanwhile, we've got a plank in our own eye. I was going to bring a plank here today, but I didn't. But a plank is a, is, a, is a big board, okay? It's two to four inches thick. It's generally at least eight inches wide and however long. Pirates had people walk the plank, okay? It's a big thing. And Jesus is using the plank and sawdust as imagery for our sins. He's telling us that as long as we have this plank-sized sin in our own world, we need to address that first before we address the little speck in our brother's eye. So throughout Scripture, it talks about and gives examples of incorrect methods of judging others. And I'll share a few with you. Superficial judgment is wrong. In John 7, verse 24, we, we read that we should stop judging by appearances only. Did you see that dress she was wearing? Hypocritical judgment is wrong. Paul writes in Romans 2, verses 1, judging, uh, to, to, he prohibits judging others when we do the same things. You know, that's Sally's one gossip. Harsh and unforgiving judgment is wrong. In Titus chapter 3, verse 2, we read, Slander no one, but be peaceful and considerate. Self-righteous judgment is wrong. Again, James writes, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Well, at least I don't hang out with the people they hang out with. And untrue judgment is wrong. We, talk, we hear about bearing false witness. Proverbs 19, verses 5 goes on to say, A false witness will not go unpunished. So Jesus basically is giving us two instructions when it comes to judgment here. The first thing is to stop judging people in the wrong way. And the second is, deal with your own sin first. And let's not forget this other little tidbit in our reading where it says, in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Do you want to be judged the same way that you judge others? Do you want to be judged by how you look? We all have days that we don't look good. Do you want to be judged by who you hang out with? Jesus hung out with prostitutes and drunks. Do you want to be judged by how people perceive your actions? The Bible is full of examples of people following God's words, God's nudging in ways that we would think are crazy. As sinners, do we want God to judge us the way we judge others? 
What's this crazy part at the end of our reading today that talks about dogs and pigs? Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Well, there's a couple things that Jesus is saying here. Number one is, you're not going to teach somebody God's word by hitting them over the head with this. It doesn't work. He's also saying that there are times and there are circumstances which no matter what great testimony you can, how eloquent you are, however you say it, it's just not going to have an effect. Some people are just not going to hear it. Some people don't want to hear it. Some people aren't ready to hear it. And it doesn't matter. You can talk yourself hoarse and it's just not going to happen. But the way we act, the way we live, oftentimes has a bigger impact than anything we say. It's not telling you not to waste your time, but it's telling you to use more than words when you're ministering to people. So why is this message, why is this piece of the Sermon on the Mount so important about judgment? We're talking about flourishing in exile here. We're talking about what, how we should be living our lives. And the biggest takeaway that we should be taking from this series is that our lives and the way we live it can be a ministry to others. Going back to the people that influenced you. Was it the fact that they convinced you that Jesus was your Savior with Scripture and verse? Or was it who they were? Was it how they lived their lives? Was it their attitude? Their peace? What was it? What is it that you're telling people about your relationship to Christ. We have the opportunity through the way we live and through our relationship with Jesus to show people a better way, a better world. And that's the opportunity to reach somebody. Because let's be honest, One of the things that damages the kingdom more than anything else is Christians saying one thing and doing something else. Joe, you want to pull up the last slide here? This is a slide that, that Bristol put together that kind of expanded upon what Tom did. Our objective, again, in flourishing in exile is bringing the heavenlies the cosmos into the world. And the, our relationship with Christ and with our community blossoms. And when we say one thing and we do another thing, it moves level four further away from level three. 
We're never going to be perfect. But again, if we start to exhibit and reflect Jesus, like it talks about here in Matthew 5 through 7, we'll start to have that impact and we'll bring the kingdom to the world. Mother Teresa was one of the people on the screen earlier, if you saw. She had a great quote that I wanted to share with you. I'm a quote guy, if you haven't figured that out by now. If you judge people, you have no time to love them. And if I could summarize this series in one sentence, and hopefully give you something to take away with you, it would be sometimes the best thing we can do for people who don't know God is to show God. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your son, Jesus, and his ministry and the opportunity for us to see first, hear firsthand from him what it means to reflect him. And I ask that you help us to draw closer to you so that we're able to. We can't do this without you, Lord. We know that. But we know with all things, all things can be done through you. And so I ask you, Lord, to bless us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to give us opportunities to be the light, to help us model our lives after your son. And bring your peace and your love to the exile that we're in. In your son's name. <clears throat>